Judy will come in a minute uh, or two and uh, read the Bible for us. So if you've got your Bible, just hang on to it. My name's Libby. I'm one of the clergy here. It's brilliant to be able to add my welcome as well. It's lovely to see you all uh, this evening. Some of you have been coming to church for a long time. Some of you have been a Christian for a long time. Some of you, it might be your first time here. It might be your first time in a church for a long time. But I've got a question that all of us can answer tonight, partly because we've been singing the songs we've been singing tonight, so therefore the songs will help you to answer the question that I've got. What do you know of God? What do you know of God? I want you to think of that for a second and then just turn to somebody next to you. There's no right or wrong answer. And just share with the person next to you or the couple of people next to you, what do you know of God? Go for it. Okay, sounds like quite a lot of people know a lot. It would be very interesting to go around and find out what all your answers were, but then we'll be here till about midnight, so I'm not going to do that. But I expect that uh, quite a lot of us know a lot of God. Some of us know a little of God. But I wonder if actually all of us need to know more of God. I wonder if you're somebody who could sit here tonight and go, yeah, I know a lot of God. I know God. I know God personally. Or maybe I don't know God personally, but I know a lot about him. But I hope that all of us can stand here and go, I want to know more of God. I want to know God more. Now, I'm a professional Christian. I do sort of God for a living, okay? Uh, But to be honest, there is so much more of God that I want to know. I want to know more of what God's heart is for the world. I want to know more of the God that I know a bit of already. I want to dig deeper into that so that as I live my life, I can walk my life with God. So that as I get to know him, I'll be able to sort of discern his heartbeat for my life and for for the world that I live in and for my neighbors and my friends and my family. I wonder if you, like me, want to know God more. Do you want to know God more? Uh, A few years ago, my family and I, uh, we were at a Christian conference uh, in England, uh, and my daughter, Alice, who's now 11, was about four at the time. And on this Christian conference, she went off uh, each morning to a little group for about two hours. Uh, and I'd go and pick her up at the end of her group, and we'd go to like a coffee place at this big co- Christian conference together. And every day as she left her group, her leader would write something in this little notebook uh, so that the parents or carers knew what they'd been looking at that morning in their group, what story in the Bible they'd been looking at so we could chat about it further. That particular morning, uh, I picked Alice up. We went off uh, to this coffee place. I got my coffee. I needed it. We were camping with about 10,000 other people. Uh, We sat there with my coffee, and I opened the little book that Alice had got from her group. And that day, this was written in her little book. Today, Alice has asked Jesus to be her forever friend. Today, Alice has asked Jesus to be her forever friend. Now, you know, I get it. I was like, brilliant, brilliant. You know, I understood that Jesus, God had, God had, Alice had asked Jesus to be her friend. Alice had become a Christian. 
But the bit I didn't get was the forever friends bit because it, if you're of my generation, when you hear the phrase forever friend, this is exactly what you think of. Who else thinks of forever friends? That little rough, fluffy, sentimental little bear. It was all over the place. Okay, for sometimes it still is. Actually, I, I have come across it. So this is what I thought of. And I was like, is that what God is like? Is God really just some fluffy, sentimental bear? Or is actually God more than that? And I suppose there's truth in this concept of God being our forever friend. Uh, Because actually we're designed to be in relationship with God. All of us are. Whether you know God or not yet, you are designed to be in relationship with God with God, to be friends of God. If we open the pages of the Bible, we find story after story of people who lived their lives with God, who were friends with God. The whole reason that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again was that so that we, you and I, could be friends with God forever. So there is truth that Jesus wants to be our forever friend. But as I sat there in this cafe with Alice at this Christian conference a few years ago, I was concerned that if Alice only knew God as forever friend, what what would happen when perhaps she came across something difficult in life? Perhaps when she came across a time where God seemed distant from her, Or, or maybe she read a part of the Bible where actually she thought this story in the Bible doesn't feel like God is being a forever friend in this part of the Bible. Maybe you too have come across those sorts of questions and struggles as well in your life. Maybe at the moment you're wading through a hefty mound of rubbish in your life and it just feels that God is far, far away from you. Maybe it feels like God is not answering your prayers. Uh, He's not coming to the rescue. Uh, Where does that leave us? Because if Jesus is our friend, then he should be right here, right now, when you need him, like a good friend should be. He should be sorting out our problems, uh, and he should be sorting out the mess of this world. How can God be our friend and yet so utterly incomprehensible at times? Krish Kandia, uh, the Christian author, puts it like this. Who is this God who has the power of creation and yet seems to be either powerless or uncaring when disaster strikes? Who is this God who lets human beings wreak destruction against each other? Who is this God whose friendship seems so uncertain? Massive questions to ask. Earlier in the summer, I was reading a book uh, by a theologian called Scott McKnight. It's called The Blue Parakeet. And it challenges uh, us in the way that we read the Bible. And basically, he's saying, you know, we all have a tendency uh, to pick up our Bibles uh, and and just choose a nice Bible verse from the Bible, one that's going to encourage us and make us feel good about ourselves, Uh, one that's just going to bless us, one that, you know, is the sort of Bible verse that can be made into a nice fridge magnet or written in calligraphy and stuck to our walls. A lot of us read the Bible like that. But there are a few problems with this way of reading the Bible. First of all, it means that we're actually only reading about 20% of the Bible uh, generally. 
And yet in 1 Timothy, we read that actually all Scripture is God-breathed, and all Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and for training in righteousness. And so all the Bible points us to Jesus. All the Bible helps us to know more of God. And also, if we read the Bible in that sort of bitty, picking out the little nice, encouraging Bible phrases, then actually we're never getting a full picture of God and God's big story of salvation as well. On Tuesday morning, uh, if you're on Facebook and you live in Edinburgh, your Facebook might have been like mine. Because on Tuesday morning, uh, my Facebook feed was full of pictures uh, of the fireworks at the end of the fringe. Anybody else have loads of pictures on theirs? I know some of you did, because some of them, you took the pictures that were on my Facebook feed. Uh, anyway, there were loads of, of different pictures of the fireworks that were at the castle on uh, Monday night. Now, Rachel Moody, lots of you know Rachel, she stands on the platform and sings, and she took some stunning pictures that appeared on my Facebook page um, of the cat, and I could have looked at Rachel's pictures and thought, they fully encapsulate everything that happened on that Monday night. Those eight or ten pictures that she posted on Facebook gave me a full picture of the immensity of the fireworks that were at the castle on Monday night. But that would have been a bit of an ignorant thing to do. Because actually, I know that Rachel was only stood in one place watching the fireworks. She only had one angle. She only took eight or ten pictures of the fireworks. There were so many different things that were happening, so many different angles that people could have taken uh, the fireworks from. There was 30 to 40 minutes of fireworks, for goodness sake. You know, I couldn't have had a full picture just from those few snaps that Rachel put on Facebook that morning. There's always so much more of God for us to know. God is so much bigger. God is so much wilder. God is so much more multidimensional than the God that we encapsulate in that verse that we make into a fridge magnet. One of my favorite books ever of all time is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, by C.S. Lewis. I'm sure I'm not the only one uh, here who thinks that. And there's this amazing part in the book uh, where Susan, uh, where Mr. Beaver is telling Susan about Aslan. And initially, she thinks uh, that Aslan is a man. And Mr. Beaver puts her right and says, no, Aslan is actually a lion. And so Susan's a bit taken aback, and she says, well, Mr. Beaver, is he safe? Is he safe if he's a lion? And Mr. Beaver replies by saying this, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He is the king, I tell you. Do you want to know God more? So over the next few weeks in our evening services, we're going to meet with this God who is not safe but he is good. Are you ready to come on this journey with us to meet this God who is not safe, but is good? We're going to meet uh, this God who turns up in places and in ways that sort of blow your mind uh, when you encounter him, uh, often in strange ways, in unrecognized plays, in unannounced ways, uh, and, and in uninvited places as well, sometimes acting in ways that definitely aren't safe, but are always good. 
And we're going to start that now by looking at a passage from Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning, and now Judy is going to bring our Bible reading for us. Tonight's reading is from Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to 19, and it's on page 5 of the Church Bibles, which I found at the back. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the snake deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So just before that passage uh, that Judy read there, after Adam and Eve have taken the fruit and eaten it, we have the creation narratives in Genesis 1 and 2. They're incredible. It's an incredible story, an incredible picture of God's creation and the way that he lavishes his love and his creativity. He just like throws out stars and planets and water and fish and trees and plants and animals. It's an incredible scene. And then we have the creation of humanity, man and woman. And it just gets better and better because uh, man and woman are created uh, to be in relationship with God first and then in relationship uh, with each other and then to be in relationship with the land as well. It's like this utopian, idyllic image. And we see God as this loving creator. And it just blows your mind. God wants, authority, wants relationship with man and woman, but he also gives them authority over creation. He says, share with me, share with me in, in looking after this creation. It's an incredible image. But then within a few paragraphs, everything changes. Within a few paragraphs, everything changes. Because actually Satan comes onto the scene. And the woman and man, uh, they give in to the temptation that Satan puts before them. And they, they take the fruit. It's their famous story, and they eat the fruit. And, and what happens next, though, is even more startling. And this is the bit that Judy just read. Because actually what happens is that God comes back onto the scene. And when God comes face to face with the disobedience of humanity, what does he do? Did you hear what he did? He absolutely blasts them. 
He comes in and he curses them and he loses the plot and he acts really dramatically towards them. No longer have we got this loving, relational creator God, but we have a God who says these words in Genesis 3, 16 and following. To the woman, God said this, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. Childbirth birth hurts, okay? I'm like, did it not hurt originally? That's amazing, because I've had three children. It hurts. Um, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to the man, a bit later, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. We have now firmly left God is my forever friend land, haven't we? Krish Kandia, in his book, God is Stranger, uh, questions why the big drama? Why does God act so dramatically in this morning? Why doesn't he just like press reset as though he's like resetting his broken down iPad? Why does he, he just not return us to factory settings? You know, we're not that far in to the whole of creation at this point. Because whether we read uh, the book of Genesis as a metaphor of God's involvement with creation or poetic or historical literature, the book of God clearly paints God as anything but a fluffy pushover. But here, he is a God who curses, who punishes, and who casts out. And that can just completely screw your mind when you're thinking, what do I know of God? This God who created humanity to be in relationship with each other and with himself now says there will be pain and there will be inequality in your relationships with each other people. And these people who are invited to share in this easy life of managing this immense farm that was creation are now said that is going to be your labor. It is going to be hard work. And after all this work, all you've got to look forward to now is death. From dust you came, to dust you shall return. Why is it that God acts so harshly? Does this sort of God fit in with my image of God as my forever friend, or my God as Father in heaven, or my, my God as generous lover, brother, friend? How does this God fit in with our image of God? And so we need to unpack what's going on here to try and understand how this is the same God in Genesis 3 as the God who runs through the whole of the Bible, the God who comes to rescue us, the God who redeems us. Is he the same God who heals and restores us? So we're just going to pull out a few things from these verses briefly from Genesis 3. The first thing that we need to understand is that we were designed for intimacy. We were designed for intimacy. God's intention for the whole of humanity, for those of us who know God and those of us who do not yet know God, is that we are to be in relationship with him. That's how we're best to work out this life. 
I love the creation accounts and how they describe the first humans as walking with God. Have you ever noticed that? It was, it was um, it, earlier on in the passage and in the passage that we heard read that people walked with God. And there's something intimate about walking alongside people. There's something, if you're walking with somebody, uh, there's so much like companionship. It's like you're just sharing a bit of space together. And it's so much easier, isn't it? I don't know whether it's just me, but if you're walking with somebody by the side of them, you can share stuff with them that you wouldn't ever share if you were, stood face, you were sat face to face eyeballing them. There's something intimate about sharing, about walking with somebody. And these first people are described as walking with God. It's such an intimate, such a profound thing. I, I love working in the staff team at Peace and Jeeps. And um, one of the things that I love about working staff team uh, at Peace and Jeeps is they are not just a group of random people, even though we are pretty random. Uh, they're not just random colleagues, but we're friends. We're friends. We laugh a lot. We share life with each other. We f share the disappointments and the sorrows and the funny bits of life. We have ridiculous banter over stupid things. We share life and we share ministry with one another. God shared life with Adam and Eve. That was how it was designed to be. He gave them everything. He gave them the whole of creation. He shared his authority with them. And what did they do? It wasn't enough. They wanted to be equal with God. And so Satan came in and he said to them uh, this. He said, you know, why don't you eat of that tree that God told you not to eat of? Because actually then your eyes will be opened, he says, and then you will be like God. It wasn't enough for them to, to share intimacy with God, uh, to be in relationship with him, to be the pinnacle of, the, of his creation, uh, to share authority with him. Humanity wanted more. The grass is always greener on the other side. They wanted to be like God. And so we know the story. They took the fruit and they ate it. And the scene quickly moves from intimacy to betrayal. Our second thing, betrayal. I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, what is this situation like in our world? This is a bit of a bizarre analogy, but it makes sense to me. I was thinking about what Adam and Eve did, and I was thinking, it's a bit like me and Dave, okay? Um, so uh, Dave is my boss, okay? Uh, sometimes he debates that, but anyway, it'd be a bit like if every time Dave's back is turned, every time he goes away on a conference or something, um, I tried my utmost to undermine his position, to promote myself, basically to get his job. But that would be such a betrayal. Not just because we're work colleagues, but actually because we're friends. And he has entrusted me to share in the ministry of this church. It'd be such a betrayal. Chris Candia says this again. Despite all God has given us, we all too often want more, too readily betraying our relationship with God for something we see as better. This is what sin is, if you've ever wondered. It's basically the betrayal of our relationship with God for something that we see as better. And we all do it. It's why our world is so broken, because we're all after that better thing. 
So whether it is your work, whether it's your Xbox, looking over in that corner over there and these over there, uh, maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your ego, maybe it's your desire for success or money, maybe it's sex or relationships, all these things that often become more important to us. And in the process, we betray what God has given us. This is what has gone wrong with the world. Despite all God has given us, we too often want more, too readily betraying our relationship with God for something we see as better. And Adam and Eve knew exactly what they were doing as well. This is not some little mistake, some teensy-weensy uh, betrayal. It wasn't an accident like, oh, we're just walking through the garden, and we know there's one tree God has told us not to eat from, and oops, I've just tripped over the root of that tree and face-planted into a piece of that fruit in all the, um, the forest of the garden and Eden. It wasn't a mistake. They knew exactly what they were doing because they made a choice. And they, we know that they know what they were doing. Because did you notice, right at the beginning of the passage that uh, um, Judy read, Genesis 3, verse 8, we find that Adam and Eve were hiding. They were hiding in the garden. They were hiding. I wonder if this week uh, you've been following the story on the news of uh, Jambez Taran. Uh, you might not know the guy's name, but I'm sure you've heard the story in the news. Uh, the guy who is alleged to have murdered his partner and her mum in Solihull. Maybe that rings bells with you. Now, I didn't know much about this story. I don't know much about the crime that was committed, but in my mind, this man was guilty. Why? Because he ran away. He went into hiding. Just that very act spoke to me of his guilt. He hid. He was ashamed. He knew what he'd done. Adam and Eve went into hiding. They hid. They were ashamed. They knew what they'd done. And I wonder if we all go into hiding sometimes. We don't literally hide from God behind a bush. But we try and push God to the sidelines of our lives. We hide in our busyness. We hide in noise. We hide in social media. We try and avoid people who we know are going to draw us back from, to God. We hide from church sometimes. We just push God out. We try and hide, him. I hide from him. We bury our head in the sand and hide from the situation or the choice that we know that we've made, which is pulling us away from our relationship, our intimacy with God. We are all created for intimacy with God, but we betray him. We make a choice and then we try and hide from him. And the relationship, the trust, the dependency, the love is broken. And so lastly, that's when the consequences start rolling in. The consequences start rolling in. I remember clearly the day when we found out that my dad had been having an affair. After the shock and the complete, oh my goodness, head in your hands, what on earth is going on? What have you done moment? My mum stood in front of my dad and said this. If you make the choice to walk out of that door, you will have to live with the consequences of that decision for the rest of your life. He walked out the door. When we make choices, we have to face the consequences. It's one of the facts of life, isn't it? Some of us have to face consequences that are pretty dramatic as well. 
And this is exactly what is going on here in Genesis 3. Humanity made a deliberate choice to betray the perfect relationship that God had with them and with one another, and there were consequences. The consequences were that they were, the relationship with God and the earth and with each other was fractured, it was alienated, it was broken. But isn't God still being a little bit overdramatic with all these curses and things? That's all very well to think, but the reality is that um, we are created to have intimacy with God, with the God who is pure and who is holy and who is set apart. And so like oil and water, God and sin just don't go together. Or, or like you know, two magnets, which are the same and they sort of repel each other. God is so pure and holy that he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so once we had made the choice to betray God and the love and the trust that he had poured upon us, we had to be banished from his presence. God is holy and we are not. And the result of sin, of that betrayal, is that the relationship between humanity and God was fractured. The relationship between man and woman is fractured. The relationship between humanity and the earth is fractured. And this becomes the story of the Bible. It becomes the story of humanity. And so with all this in mind, were God's words in, uh, in Genesis 3 just out of character, a moment out of character? Or actually, were his words of punishment a fair response by a just and a holy God to this stark example of greed and betrayal by humanity? It's a man-made mess, isn't it? But... But we know that this is not the end of the story. This is not the end of the story because actually there's a load more in here after Genesis 3. There's a whole load more. And now we read this and we read Genesis 3 through the lens of the whole Bible from a completely different perspective. We read what happened in Genesis 3 from the vantage point of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this, the cross is where God dealt with humanity's betrayal and sin. He dealt with it once for all when Jesus went to the cross. He took the weight of the world's betrayal and sin upon himself. Uh, and by choosing it, we read in Galatians 3, verse 13, that we are freed from the consequences of sin that God declared over humanity in those words in Genesis 3. We read this in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. It's like Jesus took our place. Christ Jesus restored the intimacy that we were designed to have with God, that we were created for. It's like at that point things were reset. He takes us back to where it all began. And I'm really excited about the next few weeks when we're going to delve into the pages of this book uh, and we're going to find out more about who this God is. I wonder if you're up for joining this journey with me and finding out more of God. It might not be easy. It's not always easy when we ask questions of God 
or we unpick bits of our faith that have always been there. But are you ready to open yourself to God, to get to know him more? You'll need to start reading your Bible, okay? Some of us will find that really difficult. We're going to have to start reading our Bible, not just the encouraging blessings bit, but all of it, and we're going to have to get to know God more. We're going to get to know the God who is more faithful, the God who is more strange and more mysterious than you can ever imagine. We're going to get to know the God who is greater and more powerful and more loving than we can ever get our heads around. And we're going to get to know the God who is holier and more just and more forgiving than we can ever grasp. This is the God who will transform your lives if you're up for it. He'll transform my life if I'm up for it. This is the God who is not safe, but he is the God who is good.